God be glorified as you rebuild and reoccupy the historic conquered church established in 1834 and continuing in 2021 as El Shaddai Christian Church with this gift of $875,000. You're going home! We couldn't believe that day that it was finally here. And then when we hear the news, when we hear the news that it's not just a a small amount, uh, but it's 100% of the need we had to rebuild this it was just amazing. And so we have the permission to rebuild. We have the money now. There is no excuse, absolutely no excuse. And we said to ourselves, Lord, thank you. This is the season, the season where we just reap what we've sown. And they COVID came. We didn't think, we honestly never thought that this would be the ending. We were so used uh, to having the victory and everything, but to our surprise, to the congregation's surprise, we were in awe. We were organizing prayer meetings and fasting, and I was doing it all um, expectantly of, of, of the answer that I expected. I, I thought, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. It did not even cross my mind um, that the answer would come in a different way. I remember the day that I got the call of him transitioning to heaven. And I remember one of the first th thoughts that came to mind was like, God, why are you like that? Couldn't you let the guy see at least the grand opening of the building? That Sunday, it was one of the most incredible worship times, yet one of the most painful. Talking about, you know, God gives you, it's a great joy, but at the same time, it's, it's pain. And it was bittersweet at the moment. And that Sunday was like both together. It took a long time to, to really accept the will of God. I think that, um, that's why God talks about the widows and the orphans, because it's so profoundly sad and devastating in someone's life. But slowly the Lord has brought us into the bigger picture, the picture of hope. And through all these months, just watching this building and watching how everybody has come, to bless us. And I know the story doesn't end here. The story 
ends with our Redeemer coming back. You know, you see the, the providence of God. All of a sudden, the guys were showing up, you know, hey, let's rebuild this thing. And the community, it's getting stronger. I think this family, we're seeing that God is the author of this story and He's not finished yet. And there's so many beautiful chapters to tell and things that we can't even imagine or dream up. This project of reconstruction is just the beginning. It's the beginning of something grand that the Lord is going to do through El Shaddai to the nations of Nashville, Tennessee. Just alone in Spanish-speaking nations are 23. El Shaddai is yet covered 1% of the population of Spanish speakers here. So we have a lot of people that we want to reach to. Now that I'm having kids, I can see my kids, you know, being the future leaders of this congregation. You know how in, in Haggai, where it says the latter glory will be greater, and, and but the glory isn't for us to be like proud, like look at us. No, it's to, it's to glorify God. And it's so that the nations will be amazed and will come and say, we want to worship God with you guys. And it'll be a great tribute to my husband and the calling and the fulfillment of something that started almost 12 years ago. We are all witnesses of a great redemption story that God is writing at El Shaddai Christian Church. Local partnership we've had for many, many years. And what I was reminded of as I was watching that video is that God's greatest stories usually don't go the way we expect them to. There's a line in that video that really moved me. It was when Marco, one of the worship leaders, he said, I thought, God, why are you like that? I remember thinking that when I heard the news. We wanted to show you this video today for a few reasons. One is it's been a year since we gathered at the lawn at our Brentwood campus and made that announcement that you saw that, you know, as Lloyd made, the overflow of the Generous God campaign that, that um, our body so generously was able to finish the task of raising the funds to get El Shaddai back into their church. So we wanted to give you an update. Many of you have been asking, how is El Shaddai doing, you know, and, and with the loss of Pastor Herman and what's been going on there. So we wanted to give you that update. We also wanted to say thanks for those of you that have been serving. I know, um, you know, you saw some pictures there. Our security team has jumped in. They rebuilt the deck. They've been doing a lot of other projects. Many of you have been serving in various ways. Uh, a few members of fellowship are serving on an advisory board, advisory team that's helping El Shaddai as they're moving forward and making plans. And by God's grace, the church is still going and they're still gearing toward that grand opening as you saw on the screen. So we're excited about celebrating that with them in September, which is just a few months away. We also wanted to show you that today because we are in our final week of the Ruth series and we could not help but just see the parallels between what Marguerite has been living and what we've been reading as we've walked through this book of Ruth. And so you've heard Lloyd and myself say many times throughout the series over the, the past several months, there's more than meets the eye. 
That is always true in God's best stories. And the one that we've been reading about and the one that we've been coming alongside at El Shaddai Christian Church, that is true. There's more going on than meets the eye. So today I want to recap the book of Ruth. We'll spend 15 minutes or so kind of walking back through it. I wanna hit two major themes that we see in the book of Ruth. But the main part of our worship service today, maybe not from a time standpoint, but certainly from a significance standpoint, the main part of our worship service is gonna be you all sharing a few things about what God's been doing in your life and in your heart. You have a card that was set on the seat when you came in this morning. I want you to go ahead and pull that card out. Uh, The card at the top says, how has Ruth's story helped you see God in your story? That's the question I want you to be reflecting on even as I summarize the book. And then uh, we're gonna have time for maybe four, five, six, or eight of you to share a response to that question. So Be thinking now what you want to share. Be thinking now what you might want to write. I'll actually give a couple of minutes at the end of the message for all of us just to reflect and write down some thoughts, and then I'm going to call several of you forward. I won't pick names out, of course, but I'm going to ask for volunteers. And I want you to know every time we do this, the body ends up being blessed by those of you who share. And I know many people don't like microphones, but God's going to stir some of you to share something. And I want to encourage you just to step out and and encourage and end in faith And let's be the body. Let's be a community of faith this morning as we can listen to one another. The book of Ruth tells the story of a middle-aged woman who lost everything and then found her emptiness filled to overflowing by God's providence. It also tells the story of a young Moabite woman who sacrificed her future for her mother-in-law and then found herself covered by the wings of the living God. And finally, the book of Ruth also tells the story of a humble man from Bethlehem who embodied God's love for these vulnerable women and found his name remembered for thousands of years. As I was thinking and praying about what to share to recap the book, it occurred to me there are really two major themes, two theological points in the book of Ruth. And and as I thought more about these, I thought to myself, you know, if all you believed about God were these two things, you could endure any tragedy. And I honestly believe that to be true. Two things we learn about God from the book of Ruth. And some of you are in tragedy right now. Some of you have walked through tragedy. All of us will at some point in our lives, multiple times, hit tragedies large and small. And don't forget, Ruth starts that way. The whole book starts with a massive tragedy and then it goes through these four chapters. And at the end of the book, we can say there are two things we believe about God, two things we know about God. And if you believe these two things, It will change the way you see anything hard that comes into your life, but you have to grab onto both of them, not one or the other. Let me give you a little bit of an analogy. Um, I brought with me a pair of glasses. I went to the eye doctor recently. You know, I've been wearing contact lenses or glasses almost all my life since I was in elementary school. It was time for my annual checkup, and I went to the doctor, and you know, they, they, they look at both your eyes, not just one, obviously, because they need to correct both. So they put the machine on, what's better, A or B? And you're like, I don't know, (laughs) they're the same and all these kinds of things. And at the end, he he wrote me a prescription, the eye doctor did, and it said, left eye, you know, this is what you need, right eye, this is what you need. Now, I, um, these aren't my actual real glasses. I asked one of our production guys, Joe, to get me the largest pair of lenses he could find. He did not disappoint. Okay, these are my stage glasses. And when I saw them, I was like, I'm not gonna actually wear these, but I've come this far, so here we go. You like my new specs? 
<laughs> All right, I'm, I'm gonna, not gonna wear these long, okay? So enjoy this while you can. Uh, here's what I want you to do when you see these crazy goofy glasses on me. Think about what Eric taught us not too long ago when Eric said, you know, you need to see God's story through a certain lens. And I wanna say there's actually two lenses on these glasses. You know, they're called glasses, plural, not glass. There are two things, two ways. So think about this book that we've been studying as teaching us two truths that we need to hold simultaneously. Two things to believe about God. They work together. Ruth gives us a pair of theological lenses, a pair of theological glasses, and we can view the hard things in our lives through these things. So let's talk about the first. The first is God's providence. That's the first lens through which I wanna invite us to see the hard things in our lives, God's providence. And certainly we've been talking about that a lot in our study through the book of Ruth. That's the subtitle of our message series, Ordinary Providence. We'll put on the screen here uh, the definition of providence. This comes from Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question is, what are God's works of providence? If it doesn't show up on the screen, I'll just read it for you. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. There it is. Simple way to put that, God is in control. What is he in control of? Everything. Well, what do you mean everything? Everything. The hard things, yes. The good things, yes. Well, what about evil? I don't know. I can't answer some of the hard parts of the question, but this is what we believe. God is in control. I like the way Lloyd said it on week one of the series. Lloyd says, this says easy, but lives hard. It says easy, but lives hard. When Ruth found herself in the field of Boaz at just the right time, it's easy for us to say, oh, that's God's providence. It's a lot harder to see God's providence in the famine that caused them to flee the land of Bethlehem and then the death of Elimelech and Malon and Kilion. Could God's hand be in all of that? For me, there was one key passage as we studied this book together that really made me think about God's providence in a different way than I'd ever had thought about it before. It was these verses, Ruth chapter one, verses 20 to 21. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. This woman had just lost her husband and both of her sons. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I remember in worship planning time when we were preparing this series, we were reading the book together as a team. This was the you know, myself and Lloyd and our worship leaders, our production team, and some other people that we have in that room were brainstorming a series together. And I remember a question that came up. The question was this, was Naomi a good theologian or just a bitter widow? Lloyd asked that question when he taught this verse, these verses on that particular day of our series. In other words, was, Lloyd a, was, a, was Naomi a good theologian? In other words, was Naomi right? Had the Lord dealt bitterly with her, the Lord testified against me, the Almighty brought calamity upon me. Was Naomi a good theologian or a bitter widow? 
I think the answer is both. She was very understandably a bitter widow. But I also don't think her theology was wrong. Now, I've thought about this a long time, and I thought maybe she's interpreting God's actions in a way that was a little misdirected. But I don't think she was wrong to look God straight in the face and set her pain at his feet. Interestingly, Naomi never lost her faith. In fact, you could argue because her faith in God, what she believed about God's power and God's might and God's providence was so strong that it's what caused her to look him square in the eye and lay her pain at his feet. Naomi had a big faith and she wasn't afraid to put her pain on God. Week two of our series, we put a QR code on the screen and the QR code that you scanned with your phone took you to a little survey. The survey just had a prompt on it, said name a loss in your life. Many of you remember doing that. We'll put on the screen here what the losses in our lives looked like. If we could put those up on the screen. The larger words were ones that were mentioned more than once. You know, this was real time. This was in our body. This is not some, let's research what's the loss that other people in the world are enduring. This is what we, Fellowship Bible Church, have experienced and, and have been experiencing recently. Three weeks later, we did something very similar, another prompt, another blank. This time we asked you to name a gain in your life, something that you'd say, this was a real blessing, something good you have experienced. We called those our hallelujahs. We'll put that over here on this screen. And the losses over here on your left, the hallelujahs over here on your right. Here's the question we wrestled with together. Which of these two screens was part of God's providence? Which of these is God in control of? Which of these does God author and orchestrate? Sometimes the providence of God in our lives is an easy lens through which to view things. Oftentimes it's not. Viewing everything in your life through the lens of providence means God's in control of it all. And that gets very, very difficult for all of us at some point or points in our lives. I wanna encourage you to think of it this way. To believe anything other than God is in control of all things is to make him less powerful than he says he is. And if that is true, can you really trust him? But that's only the first lens that the book of Ruth teaches us to view God through, the lens of God's providence, his hard providence. There is another lens that is just as important. And if you only see God through the lens of providence, you're not seeing him clearly yet. Besides providence, there was one other word that we kept talking about over and over and over in the book of Ruth. And it was a Hebrew word, hesed. H-E-S-E-D is how you might transliterate it into English. We'll put it on the screen. I want you to see a definition of it. Hesed 
Hesed's one of the most important Hebrew words in the Bible. It's why we talked about it so much. It means steadfast love, affection, rooted in a committed relationship. Sometimes it's translated love or loyal love, faithfulness, unfailing kindness, devotion. The, the English translators try all these different words to try to capture the depth and the breadth of this word. It's not as simple as just saying love or kindness. It's all of that. This particular word is used multiple times in the book of Ruth, but I want to talk about where the Hebrew people got this word. The Hebrew people got this word from God himself. Because when he revealed himself to Moses in one of the most important passages in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 34, God said, this is who I am. Remember, he passed by Moses. He says, I am the Lord. And he described himself. He, he painted a word picture of his essence. And God himself, speaking to Moses, said, I am a God abounding in hesed. Abounding in steadfast love. And he says, I'm, I'm a God who keeps hesed for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Hesed is, is God is, is love, God, but he's beyond that. He's faithful, he's committed. He's the God of the covenant. He's the God who will never stop loving, that when God makes a promise, he never breaks that promise. He never goes back on that promise. He never goes against his faithfulness, his commitment, his covenant. Hesed describes the character of the God of the covenant, the God who will not fail to keep his promises because he cannot fail to keep his promises. It is his essence to love. So when Ruth said to Naomi, that passage that we all remember, and everybody knows from the book of Ruth, the most famous passage from the book of Ruth, it's Ruth speaking these words to Naomi, who's this brokenhearted woman. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. When Ruth said those words to Naomi, God was expressing his hesed love for Naomi through Ruth. Naomi may have been hearing Ruth's voice but she was encountering God's words. And to encounter God's words is to encounter God himself. Just as God had passed by Moses in Exodus 34 saying, I am the Lord God, the Hesed loyal one. Now Naomi encounters the same God. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. I will not ever leave you, Naomi. I will not forsake you. When Boaz took notice of Ruth, made sure she was protected in the fields, and then later stood before the elders and declared he was going to marry her and bring her back into the family and redeem her, God was expressing his loyal love for Ruth through Boaz. And as we saw last week, the steadfast love of God reverberated down through the generations. It didn't stop at Boaz. From, from Boaz, the Hesed love that God put inside Boaz and, and also inside Ruth, that was expressed to Obed. The faithfulness of God that brought this child into the world. And then from Obed to his son, Jesse. And then from Jesse to his son, David, who was called a man after God's own heart. And then from David all the way down to Jesus Christ, who is the full and complete embodiment of the Hesed love of God. Jesus is Hesed in flesh, 
Jesus' steadfast love with skin on. This is where I want to take you back to these two lenses. The book of Ruth teaches us not only is God in charge of all things, in control of all things, and that is hard sometimes to believe, but his essence is love. His essence is steadfast, faithful, loyal love. And you say, Rob, how can those two things go together when tragedy comes? I can't explain all that I believe. I just know if you cut God open, he bleeds love. Mankind did that. And Jesus bled love. You know, I remember in the hard parts of the story as we were teaching the, you know, the tragedy part, and I remember looking out in the congregation, seeing people wipe their eyes and knowing some of the stories that you all are walking in. And I remember planting seeds up here on the stage and saying, just water the seeds, just wait, just, just, just water the seeds with your tears if you need to. Let God work. Of course, I'm thinking, I know what's coming. This story ends happy. <laughs> this story ends in redemption. But in the last couple of weeks, as we've been in the happy ending of the story, there have been a subsection of you all that I've been thinking a lot about. I've wondered how it has felt to read the happy ending of Ruth for those of you who haven't had happy endings. I can imagine someone saying, of course, Ruth's story is in the Bible. It has a happy ending. What about the multitudes of women who were never noticed by a wealthy landowner? What about the multitudes of widows who went to their grave never, never seeing a grandchild like Naomi did? What about all the people who died in poverty and, and were taken advantage of and who were never redeemed? Weren't those stories true as well? In the Old Testament, in our day, yes. That's a real question, isn't it? Not all the stories in the Bible have happy endings. As I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 11. If you haven't read it in a while, go, go read Hebrews chapter 11. It's often called the Faith Hall of Fame. And so you think, oh, this is where we see, you know, glimpses of the superheroes of the Bible. Do you know what Hebrews chapter 11 says about all the men and women that it's talking about, this Faith Hall of Fame? It's saying these people never saw with their own eyes the redemption. They just put their faith that it was going to come. The author of the book of Hebrews essentially says that these people trusted God because they knew even when they died, God wasn't yet done. So what we know is true from the testimony of Scripture is that although not all the stories in the Bible have happy endings, the story of the Bible does. Another way to think about it, very often the pieces of my life, the pieces of your lives are not gonna be put back together in, in your lifetime as neatly and cleanly as we saw happen in the book of Ruth. But every broken piece will be restored in the end. Every 
broken peace will be restored. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back to make all things new. So as all-encompassing as God's providence is, it's all things. Just as encompassing will the newness of creation be. All things. God's providence, God's steadfast love. We hold them together. Now, God's providence means he's in control. His steadfast love means he'll not stop working until all is made new. How do we hold these together? line from Lloyd's message last week I really liked. He said, God is always working for our good and his glory, and in time he will be vindicated. I thought, what does it mean that God will be vindicated? Let me unpack that just a little bit. It means that in the end, God's providence and God's steadfast love will be the two great truths that all creation will see. All will see. If you could believe these two things about God deeply in the core of your soul, you will be able to see everything in your life differently. But again, you have to hold them together. It's not enough just to believe, well, you know, God, God is in, you know, God is loving, but he's not really in control. If you X out God's providence, then what you have is you have just sort of a, a, a great benefactor, a, a kind uncle, so to speak, who, you know, wants to help you, but he doesn't really have the power to really help you. On the other hand, you can say, well, you know, God's in control, but I'm not quite sure I trust his love. What that means is then essentially you'll see him as an angry, dangerous dictator and, and you'll never trust him. It's the combination of the two that anchor your faith. These two lenses that teach us who God is at his core. This is the God of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. He is both strong and he is loving. He is in control and he is controlling all things according to his steadfast love. May our study in the book of Ruth and the testimony of all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation lead us to see our lives through these two lenses. God is strong and God is loving. I wanna invite you now to take out the card that you got as you came in this morning on your seat. And we're gonna give you just a minute or two to write down some thoughts. That question on the top is a question I've been thinking about a lot. And I wanna encourage you to reflect on it with me this morning. How has Ruth's story helped you see God in your story? I know some of you have things to share in response to that. Whether or not you think you might share in the microphone, I wanna encourage you to write either way. I think there's some pens in the seat back pockets. We have some in the back as well on that little shelf if you want to grab a pen or maybe you brought a pen. But whether you plan to share or not, I want to encourage you just to reflect. This is an opportunity for, the, for God to really sort of impress on your heart a lesson or two or something from this study or just something he's been teaching you in the last number of months or the last year or two in your life. How has the story of Ruth helped you see God in your story? I'll give you just a minute or two now and reflect.
you know, we, we do this from time to time. Usually it's at the end of the series and it, it ends up always being my favorite services because it's so good for us to hear what's going on in each other's lives. Um, I think the way modern church is set up is hard to really feel a sense of community because, you know, you come in, you sit in chairs all facing this direction. There's a stage up here. Guys, we don't perform. You know, that's not what we do. We're trying to, to create worship environments where we can engage together. And if we never hear each other's voices, it's easy to forget we're not alone. And so I want to encourage several of you to share. It's, I know it's always hardest just to get the first one or two or three. Um, so I want to ask who would be willing just to come up and share. You can read what you wrote down or you can just talk if you want, but, but keep it kind of in line with this question. You know, how has the story of Ruth helped you see God in your story? So just come on down. Somebody, whoever wants to be first, we've got two microphones, one over here on this side, one over here on this side. Thank you. Just come on down. And if you want, we've got seats in the front row. If you want to sit while you wait your turn, that's perfectly fine as well. Or you can wait till you come in. I'm just going to ask one more thing. Introduce yourself to us and then share what you'd like to. Thank you for starting. I'm Terry Schrader. And uh, my mother-in-law's name is Donna Ruth. And my daughter's name is Catherine Ruth. And when my mother-in-law was 51 years old and my wife was 26 years old, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she died a slow, painful death. But in that death, God's steadfast love allowed her to meet with every single person in her family and say, you're going to be okay. God is going to take care of you. My daughter, Catherine Ruth, uh, was our firstborn child, and 16 months later, we had another child named James, and James was certainly a, a son of thunder and a, a kid that took over every room that he walked into and was Catherine Ruth's best friend in the world. And when he was 23, he was murdered. And now, Catherine Ruth at 31 is the most loving daughter and the most loving person and she attributes some of that to losing her brother. So that's our Ruth story. Terry, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your pain and your loss with us and also glimpses of God's redemption. Grateful. Who's next? Who'd like to share? How has Ruth's story helped you see God in your story? Yeah, thanks. Come on up. Thank you for being with us. Introduce yourself and then share. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason Carroll. And uh, 
last week after the sermon, we were, you know, they were talking about the lineage at the end, all the way from this story all the way to Jesus. And we were at home, so we had a little better opportunity to talk amongst ourselves. We've got two older kids in their teens and then two little ones. And um, I was reflecting during the sermon about my own lineage and how, how I got here. And my story started when I was young. My folks got a divorce, which was a terrible, painful thing and, and uh, hard to go through. But out of that, uh, my dad became a Christian, and then my brother and I became Christians. And we had the opportunity to grow in the Lord, and um, all kinds of things happened in the middle there. But fast forward to today, um, every single person in my family is a Christian. My mom and her husband, my dad, my stepmom, my sister, my brother, all their children. And we've all served for decades now in churches, teaching and um, and and doing whatever we can to, to be used by the Lord. And, and now my children are where they are because of that pain and, and that story that started out kind of rough. Um, and so it was fun last week to just share how we all got here, you know, literally at this church doing what we're doing. My wife's serving back there in the kids somewhere. And we've got two little girls we've adopted who are now part of our family and part of your family here too. So, um, I'm encouraged that even though that was a rough way to start things out when I was a kid, um, and we still have our struggles today, but it's in the context of uh, being part of a loving, supportive, biological family and church family, which makes it all the easier. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. That is so encouraging. Grateful. We've got time for a few more. Come on down. Yeah, thank you. Hi, my name is Sandy Luttrell. I've been thinking about this all week. Actually, Ruth has been amazing. I've really enjoyed it. Um, one of the things that has stood out to me is how, um, yes, Ruth was like, I'll go where you go, but she, something happened in those years of being married to Naomi's son and being part of Naomi's family that she saw that she wanted to be with Naomi and her God. Like there's something that happened in her heart. And she chose that over going back and being um, more of a hope of a life. You know, that, that there's something, um, even if she never got married and, you know, she just was a widow and just what that meant. I mean, there was no hope there, but she decided, you know, she chose that step of obedience, if you will, to go and follow with Naomi, follow God. Um, she didn't know, it, well, let me see. Um, she would rather face the hardship of facing life as an unmarried, lonely wind, widow than with Naomi and her God than the hope of going back to her people. She didn't know that God would bless her faithfulness or have purpose in her obedience. She just chose to follow. And that's just really impacted me just because I've, I've just struggled in my own um, journey of wanting to, um, you know, do something important, just to have a ministry, to to leave a legacy, to make an impact. And God's been showing me um, over the, you know, past several years, um, just, you know, His faithfulness. It's, it reminded me, her story reminded me of 2 Timothy 2.13, that he is faithful because he cannot be unfaithful. 
So therefore, I can trust him. Like, no matter what, I can trust him in that obedience. And it's not worrying about the outcome. It's just taking that next step of faith and just keep continuing to go. And so that's like, I love that God just continues to hound this to my, my mind and say, it's just faithful. Just the next step that's before you is what you need to take. Yes, amen. Sandy, thank you for sharing that. That's a great word. Who else would like to share? I think, I think we'll, we'll take one more. Come on up. One more person. All right, Eric. As Eric's talking, I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make your way up too. We'll sing when he's done. I hesitated to come up because I get to speak in front of you guys several times a year. So um, I was able to sit with a couple this week and probably the hardest part, uh, the darkest part of their marriage story. And was just able to just look them in the eyes and be able to help them see that God is not done with them. And I had... uh, Good friend Richard gave me this bracelet uh, that says, you know, tell us that the last two words of Jesus said is finished on the cross. And I was able to, to take my bracelet off and give it to them and say, your wounds, your sin doesn't define you. His wounds define you. And was able to share with them um, my story of how God took the darkest parts of my life, my hurt, and how he's redeemed that, and how I share that openly without shame to other people so that they may find life. And I just encourage them to stay the course of trusting God's steadfast faithfulness and his mercy, because there might come a day when you can use the darkest point of your story to bring healing and redemption to someone else. And that's what I've seen in my own story, um, and that's what I was praying for for them. So I just want to just thank Richard for giving me so many bracelets to be able to give to them uh, in that moment, but also the reminder of God's wounds uh, define us, his healing, our identity in him define us, not our wounds. And so that was just really powerful looking back on my own story and being able to share with them in their story. Amen. Eric, I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. It's good to hear the testimony of the saints. We think about saints as those people that are in the Bible. The reality is everyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible declares you are a saint. In other words, you're righteous before God and God is at work in your life in powerful ways. And so we read these stories and then we hear our stories. And I hope you see the connection between the two. We, we started a whole service off singing that song. You are the same God. You are the same God. The same God that worked in all these stories of the Bible that seem so ancient and sometimes dusty to us. They're not. This is the living word of God for us today. For now, we see with eyes of faith, but there will be a day that our faith will be made sight. May it be soon. Amen.